Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Well, good morning, Prodigal Church, Fresno, California. Jonathan Martin here, and I am thrilled to be back with you. This actually feels like kind of an event for me. Feels pretty remarkable to me for a couple different reasons. I mean, number one, and I'm not saying this, I really do love your church. Um, to your pastor, John Richardson, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the witness of the community there. I love being with you guys in person, and it was such a dynamic experience for me to get to be with you in person. But part of the reason it feels special to be back in this form is that so right about a year ago, I guess it was early in the pandemic, I did a little video sermon, kind of a virtual sermon uh, for you guys and was, you know, honored to be asked then. But what makes this truly remarkable for me is that here I am having been asked a second time, being asked back to do a second video sermon. Y'all, that actually blows my mind because, and this is not false humility here. I feel like I'm really bad at this. Right now, I'm in, I am doing this on my phone in a room by myself. There are no dynamics here. I'm a person who's very much formed and shaped largely in the black church, Pentecostal church. So there's no energy in this space. That feels weird to me. Uh, looking straight into a camera always feels weird to me. Uh, a, a, a year plus full of Zooms. And I want to be careful how I say this because especially like for our community here in Oklahoma City, we're on Zoom all the time. So I'm on Zoom with people who I love and I respect and honor. I've never felt more connected to them. I've never felt closer to them. I'm always happy to see their sweet, beautiful faces. So in that regard, I guess I should be really thankful for the medium, the platform of something like Zoom. But here's the weird kind of conundrum of all that. As much as I love the folks that I Zoom with and I love feeling connected to them, I still somehow uniquely hate the Zoom. Y'all know that Joseph Conrad novel, Heart of Darkness? For me, the heart of darkness is Zoom. It's the long, slow descent into madness. And all this time just simply spent staring into screens where there's not quite the same electricity of being with somebody one-on-one -on -one in a room, the long, slow descent into the abyss. Oh my gosh. And I remember last year when I was doing this for you guys, you know, we already, I remember then we're kind of wrestling with heavy things. And now that you're in a series called Dawn is Coming, and I don't know, it just, it's kind of a funny place for me because I feel like I'm not by nature a heavy person. I know I wrote a book about shipwreck and like all of that, but I feel like for people who know me well, I feel like dispositionally I'm, I'm light. This is an arguable statement. I think I'm funny. I think I'm funny. Not everybody close to me thinks that I'm funny. I happen to think that I'm funny. I'm just not so much like a heavy dude. But you know what? It's been a really, really heavy time. And I know that a year ago, I was talking about heavy things. And now in this series, where we're taking a little bit of time before we get to Easter, 
And for John and for the folks, all the folks on staff, I'm so glad that you're carving out this kind of space because I think it's incredibly important that we don't just skip right into Easter. The Protestant people are the worst about this. Let's just kind of like, I don't know, just kind of skip from one Easter to the next, just go from one resurrection to the next, glory to glory or whatever, when it's incredibly important to uh, take some time to really sit in those kind of in-between spaces. It just so happens that, uh, you know, I really am not defined entirely by, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who just goes around all the time talking and thinking about heavy things. But for me, like I know it is for so many of you, this has been a really heavy time. And in some ways, being back before you in this same medium, the same way a year later, instead of being there in person, uh, where there's like hugs and high fives and there's that, again, that wonderful energy of kind of being together. And look, with vaccines and all that, I know there's reasons to feel hopeful, but life's still not back to normal. And I feel like this long and strange season has seemed to unearth so many things for so many of us. So whatever was already there, whatever things we were already wrestling with, even before the pandemic, so many things have kind of been stirred up. And the fact that we're back here in the same form again, I don't know, there's just something about that that really speaks to, well, the, the thing I wanna talk about today, the very short and simple text that I want to look at for this morning. And it is in fact a short text. In fact, it's only one verse. And <laughs> I think I may be taking this uh, out of context. You know, my background is Pentecostal. We do that, we take things out of context. But, but I feel like it's okay in this, in this particular case. I hope you'll work with me. But I am looking at John chapter 20, which is a resurrection text. And again, I promise I'm not gonna skip to the resurrection. But I wanna look specifically at verse 11. John chapter 20, verse 11, where the text says, but Mary stood outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now, if you read further, verse 12 says, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. So when she looks into the tomb this time, she sees something different. She sees movement, she sees life. And there's plenty of time to talk about that in the next week or so. But right now I just wanna dwell on verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. You know what happens most of the time when you stoop to look into a tomb? Absolutely nothing. Nine times out of 10, the normal course of events, the natural course of events is nothing. Usually when you stoop to look into a tomb, you don't see anything at all. There's no rustling, there's no noise, there's no life, there's no sound, there's no sense that things are changing, there's no sense that something's taking, um, there's no sense of new beginnings, none of that. You look into a tomb, what you see, what you feel, what you experience, is nothing, nothing moves, nothing changes. Everything's still the same. And I feel like that's probably how a lot of us are experiencing and have experienced this season in particular, where it feels like over and over again, bending down, peering into the tomb, 
waiting for something to change, waiting for something to happen, waiting for some opportunity, waiting for something to fall from the sky, waiting for something, some change in our relationship, some change in our work, something magical that happens. It's gonna change everything. But instead, day after day, you get up and you do the same thing over and over and over again, getting the same results, feeling the same despair, feeling the same emptiness. And over time, that emptiness feels more profound. Over time, that sense of nothingness just grows and can seem to kind of envelop you. Most of the time when you stoop to look into the tomb, you don't see angels sitting there making an announcement. Most of the time you don't see or hear anything at all. So this morning I wanna take a few minutes just to specifically sit with that feeling, just to sit with that particular emotion of what it is to peer into the tomb when nothing changes. To come, oftentimes, maybe still bringing some kind of hope, maybe still expecting some kind of miracle, maybe still looking for some monumental thing to happen that's gonna shake things up, and instead finding just the monotony of silence that instead there's just the only, the closest thing to a rhythm that's there is just this unending silence. And it doesn't feel like God is listening. And it doesn't feel like anybody else necessarily cares. Does it feel like anybody else understands? I can promise you over the course of the next few minutes, I'm not going to say anything that's profound. So <laughs> please lower your expectations. But I do want to say just a couple things that for me come right out of the fire and come right out of some very fresh, very real life experiences. Uh, specifically, actually um, talking to one of my best friends in a way that just felt, I don't know, kind of life saving. And uh, how, how grateful am I? We should be so grateful for those friends that have that way of kind of carrying us to God and reminding us of, of who we are and kind of right out of the fire of that experience, I just want to hopefully speak into a, just a, a couple of those emotions, a couple of those things that we feel when we spend time peering into the tomb and seeing nothing change, seeing nothing happen. Because I do think that there's something about going to the grave over and over again and looking in uh, sometimes getting your hopes up. And, and I feel like there's nothing worse than false hope. There's nothing worse than thinking that things are going to change. You know that sense of kind of momentum that you get? This is going to be the day somehow. This is going to be the moment that somehow everything is going to... When you get your hopes up just a little bit and then they're dashed, oh, oh. Do you know what it feels like when hope is dashed in that way? And it feels so much worse than not hoping at all. It feels so much worse to have that kind of false hope than, than to not hope. It is the absolute worst. 
And there are two lies in particular that I think we're inclined to believe, that we're inclined to hear when we're kind of staring into the abyss, when we're staring into the tomb, when we're staring into the grave and nothing seems to change. And I hope this will speak to where some of you are right now. And I hope that none of this sounds trite because I don't mean it to be, I don't mean it to be too broad. I hope this will feel really actually tailored and specific for some folks. But the first thing that I feel like a lot of us feel when we're kind of staring into the tomb, there is just this unbelievable loneliness. There's just an ache. Keep in mind that for Mary and John 20, for all of these people who are close friends of Jesus, you know, we, we're reading all these things into the story and there's plenty of room, especially like in John's gospel, for metaphor and allegory, and we can dance with those things, and the spirit dances, and that's wonderful. But keep in mind, we're talking about people who, who lost someone that they loved. And there's a kind of grief that comes. And there's something that's so particular about the experience of grief there's something that's so particular about heartbreak. I don't even really know how to communicate this right now. Because, you know, um, there's so many other experiences that I feel like we know how to share. I'm a big basketball fan. Uh, when we were still going to NBA games, uh, there's something about the shared joy in a, in a room when you're cheering on your team. I love movie theaters. I love the experience of being at a movie and the shared kind of emotions that you can feel in a room like that. But there's something about grief in particular of any sort, whether that's around a trauma that you've experienced, a sense of innocence or wonder that's died, a relationship that doesn't exist anymore, uh, a, a, a dream that's died in some form. There's something about grief that's so lonely and so alienating that when you're in the midst of it, you feel like you're the only person who's ever experienced that. The way things converge, the way that there can be this cocktail of emotions around my job, my anxiety, my relationships, my loss, and the way that comes together, it feels like you're the only person on the planet. And you would believe in that moment when you're staring into the tomb that you're the only person who's ever felt this way. And don't get me wrong, man. I mean, there's so many things about us that are unique and particular. Insert sermon illustrations about uh, how all of our fingerprints are unique and snowflakes are unique or whatever. So many things about us that are unique. But I want to tell you that when you're staring into the tomb and you have that feeling that somehow you're alone, that's always a lie. You're not alone. And that experience of loneliness that alienation and isolation of grief, where you feel like 
all these things are coming together. That, that sense that maybe somehow you're the one who's uniquely crazy in a way that nobody else is. That maybe somehow things aren't firing right. Maybe there's some, something that's especially broken about you. It's just not true. But when you're looking into the tomb, it's really what it feels like. And we can be overwhelmed by that. We can be overwhelmed by that sense of alienation, overwhelmed by that sense of grief and despair that nobody understands, nobody sees, that nobody knows. And of course, it's possible that you're dealing with things right now that nobody does know about. It's possible that you've got some things that you're bearing so deep that nobody is able to see those things. But I want you to know, first of all, that it's a lie that nobody cares. I believe that with everything in my being. It's just not true that nobody cares about you, that nobody cares about your situation. It's not true, by the way, that if everyone knew the details, the particularity of your struggle, that somehow they would walk away from you. That's not true either. And but this is the thing I'm most convinced of. This is the thing I know for a fact. It's possible sometimes to bear our own stuff in a way where other people don't necessarily see it. We can conceal things from one another in that way. But I know for a fact that there is, well, I say it that way, I believe, it is a choice to believe, but I really do believe this with everything in me. I believe that there is a God who knows you and who has formed you, who knows everything about you, who knows that grief that you don't even know how to articulate, who knows those feelings that you don't even know how to name, those feelings that seem bottomless, those things that when you think about them, you think, if I let myself really begin to feel this, if I let myself begin to feel this anger, if I let myself begin to feel this rage, if I let myself begin to feel this sorrow, it would never end. There's a God who fully knows and sees all of those feelings and all of the experiences that you've had that shape those feelings. There has never been a moment in your life when God was not present. And I don't know how to do the math and all that, you know? Like how do some things happen that are so terrible? Because I really believe that things happen to humans that aren't supposed to happen, that doesn't delight God, that aren't part of some kind of cosmic plan. I absolutely do believe that. So I, I don't know how to fully account for that, but I just know that there is a God who grieves and weeps with you. And there is a God who holds all of those tensions in you that are yet unresolved. It's not true that no one knows. It's not true that no one sees. It's not true that no one understands. It's really not. And secondly, and I'll move more quickly now, the other lie I think we're so inclined to believe, we're staring into the abyss, looking in the tomb, nothing's moving, nothing's happening, is the lie that somehow, that whatever has gone wrong, whatever chaos, whatever death, 
whatever despair, whatever sorrow, whatever humiliation, the other lie that I feel like is always ever present with us, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. You're the reason for this. If only you had made different choices. If only somehow you'd have been stronger. If only you'd been braver. If only you had been more courageous. If only you had been wiser. How could you not have known better? It's all your fault. And it's pretty wild just how conspiratorial our minds can get in that web of grieving and despair where we can look at everything that's gone wrong with our lives, everything that seems wrong with the world, and somehow believe that it's all our responsibility. Somehow it's because of something that you did, there was something you could do to avoid it. Now, please don't get me wrong. Of course, we have the capacity to screw things up. And of course, when we do know better and we know how to change, then we do better. But please hear this with all of my heart. This, and this comes from a very personal moment with a friend saying this to me in a way that just broke me open. Just dealing with this complex of, you know, all, all the stuff that you feel and hearing those words, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. A lot of things that are not only broken the world, but a lot of things that maybe broken your life, stuff that you couldn't have known until you knew, stuff that you couldn't have seen until you saw it. Hurt people really do hurt people. There are all kinds of ways that we perpetuate the unjust cycles of, 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 of pain that have been perpetuated onto us. But listen, it's not your fault. Do you believe for a moment that if Jesus was sitting across from you, that he would look you in the eyes and he would say, your fault if you would have just only got yourself together somewhere deep down you know that's not what the voice of God sounds like certainly not the voice of the God that we as Christians believe is revealed in Jesus of Nazareth it's not your fault and you're not alone and I know that again in this series called dawn is coming I think if you can really grasp those two things, <laughs> I don't feel like I've given you anything all that pragmatic or practical. There are not seven or eight steps. If you could just hold on to those two realities, you're not alone and it's not your fault. And I wish eyeball to eyeball, I could say those things to you about a thousand times. You're not alone. And it's not your fault. If you could somehow truly believe that when you hear that voice that tells you either one of those two things, that either you're alone, you're alienated, you're isolated, you're cut off, or that somehow it's all your fault, 
you're the one to blame, but that is not the voice of God. That's not the voice of love, but that's simply not truth. If you could just believe those two things, I absolutely believe that that will keep you alive long enough to get to the dawn. I absolutely believe that that can give you hope enough to stay afloat for another night, another day, another week. Does it fix everything? Does it solve everything? But I'm telling you, it's a huge place to start. You're not alone and it's not your fault. I wanna take just a moment to pray for you now. And wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, I hope that this prayer can be a deeply personal experience where you can feel yourself truly addressed by the one who fully sees you, fully knows you, who understands all about everything, who's been there in every dark moment everything that has happened to you, everything that you've done, nothing that has escaped the attention of love, capital L, nothing that's escaped the attention of Jesus, fully seen, fully known, fully loved. Let's pray. And as you close your eyes with me, I wanna just invite you as my friends so beautifully did with me in a way that uh, recently, that was so life-giving. To actually imagine yourself in the presence of Jesus. And you're not in the tomb. You're, maybe you're in your favorite place, wherever the place is that you're most comfortable, wherever the place that you feel most at home in your own skin, to be in that place with Jesus. And to see the way that Jesus looks at you, to see the look in his eyes, whatever other feelings you've been dealing with, do you see a trace of judgment in his eyes? Do you see anything that feels like anger or rage or blame? See the tenderness in the face of Jesus. Feel the heart of Jesus for you. Listen in the silence to whatever words, to whatever good news that Jesus would want to bring to you today. And that is what Jesus is always doing. That's what the gospel is always about. Always about good news. So Jesus, I just lift up my friends, many of whom feel alienated, isolated, cut off. And I know that when we look in the tomb long enough, often enough, and nothing changes, that we almost get hypnotized by that darkness. We can start to really believe that nothing's ever gonna change. We can start to really believe that dawn's not gonna come, that you're not gonna come. We can start to really believe that we're alone or that maybe somehow everything's our fault that we're the ones who are to blame. And Jesus, I just pray right now that you would speak your words of love and of comfort over each of my friends, that they would know that you were with them. They would know that they are fully seen, fully known, fully loved, 
that every part of them that's complicated, every part of them that's broken, also everything that's big and loud and whatever, all the things, every part of them is held by you. And you're holding them now in the way that you hold all things together and you sustain all things. And we just want in this moment to just allow that love to wrap us up, to remember who we are, to remember who you say that we are, to know, to know from our very, the very core of our souls that these lies, that somehow that we're alone, that somehow it's all our fault, those do not come from you. And for people who have believed those things almost like a spell, I would just ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that those lies would be broken and they'd be able to receive the truth in the very depths of them. And I'll say it one more time prophetically in Jesus' name. You are not alone. It is not your fault. God is with you. God is with you. Know that you are loved. Know that you are held. And know that even the things that you don't know how to hold together, God is holding those things too. And dawn is coming. Thanks so much for letting me be with you. We want to thank Jonathan Martin for sharing his heart and God's heart for us this Palm Sunday. We want to invite you and your family next week to experience Easter with us at 9-11 at Fort Washington Elementary School. It's going to be outdoors and we've got a ton of fun things planned for the entire family. We're also looking for a few more volunteers to pull this off for us to be the most loving, accepting, welcoming community that we can be, that God has called us to be. We need your help. So would you consider volunteering as well? So you can head to prodigalchurchpresident.com, click Easter, scroll down to the bottom, and there's lots of avenues and places for you to serve and volunteer. We look forward to seeing you and your family and friends next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. Enjoy your Holy Week. Peace in the Middle East.